You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. This begins potentially some of the more controversial parts of 1 Corinthians. What we've learned so far is that church is messy because people are messy. The church is not programs, but it's people. And because our lives are really a mess, the church can be a mess as well. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is struggling to walk out their faith with God in their daily lives, which is pretty much like all of us. We are in the same position, trying to find a place of grace and God's purpose in our life. The first few chapters, he really lays heavy into the fact that as if you're a follower of Christ, we're family. And he's talking to the church there in Corinth saying, you are family. Have unity. Have grace. Love each other. Be patient with each other. But then he deals with this. It is the flip side of unity. If you've ever been in a relationship with anyone, you probably argued with someone. Okay? Anybody here ever argued with their children before? If you're a parent? Have you ever argued with your parents if you're a child or a coworker? Anybody had an argument with one of their closest friends, right? That's the nature of relationships. When you get into a relationship, there is the possibility of conflict and having to deal with some tough issues. So the Apostle Paul is saying, yes, we're in unity. Yes, we are to be people of grace. Yes, we are to be people of mercy. But we sometimes have to deal with some tough stuff in the family. Today's passage is very politically incorrect. And I also want to premise, as I had mentioned, uh, as we go through the First Corinthians letter, it is, it is quite a controversial letter, and it's filled with some, like, tough material. Today, you might say that it is potentially an R-rated subject today when it comes to chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians. And I'm not going to be crass about it, but we are going to talk about something the Bible talks about. If you read the Bible, you know, verse by verse, chapter through chapter, it covers some pretty tough material. Today is nonetheless very tough. So Paul says something that's going to fly in the face of Western culture. There are two ideas or values that we have in Western culture that this seems to fly in the face of. And the first one is this, is that no one has the right to judge anyone. So that's kind of a staple of a lot of people. You don't have the right to judge me. You don't have the right to judge anyone. How dare you tell me I'm wrong? And if you do tell me I'm wrong or if you do tell somebody else and you're being bigoted or narrow-minded or, or, or uh, uh, selfish or intolerant or out of date or ancient, and so there's that, how dare you? You can't judge anybody. And oftentimes, people who don't know the Bible will know one verse. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. They don't know where it's at in the Bible, but they're pretty sure Jesus might have said it. So they say, you can't tell me what to do. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Well, that verse is often taken out of context. I'm going to explain that verse a little bit later. But that's kind of a a PC view. You, You don't have the right to judge anybody. And the second is this. The right to privacy. Now, it is a, an American privilege, you know? It is a privilege, the right to privacy, but it is not a biblical spiritual right. In fact, it flies in the face of that principle. Some might say, well, what happens between 
me and somebody else or me at home by myself is between me and God. As long as we all are consenting, then, then it's our business. And I don't have to answer to anyone for what I do in my life. I have the right to do whatever I want to do in my life. It's not your business and so a lot of people even say their, their faith is private, their personal life is private. And so Paul is about to talk about something, and he says there's just some things that, that are not private anymore and that have to be dealt with, things that are hurtful and damaging to our life. So he begins with a passage that is often skipped. This whole chapter is often skipped because it's not necessarily Sunday morning feel good, you know, eight ways to be a better person type of sermon. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what he says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Now, the word sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. It's where you get the word porn from. And the word sexual immorality or pornea in the Bible refers to anything that is, is outside of God's design for sex. He said, man, some of you, are doing something that's outside of God's design for this. God gave you this great, amazing, beautiful gift. And some of you are twisting it and turning it upside down and using it outside of God's design. And he says, and one in particular, he says, is something that, that even pagans don't tolerate. Two areas he begins to address in Corinthians. And, and some people are like, well, how... You know, how much judgment are we allowed to have? You know, isn't, isn't privacy something that we should treasure and protect and keep? Yes and yes, but there are two reasons why you must draw the line and deal with something. Paul's about to give us some tough love and how we can all give tough love to those that are hurting and struggling with areas in our life. And when do you draw the line? Well, Paul gives us two reasons when to draw the line. The first one is this, heresy. The second one is high-handed sin. These are the two areas that you are to draw the line in. Heresy is this. It's teaching that contradicts crystal clear teaching of Scripture. Anytime someone clearly contradicts the crystal clear teaching of Scripture, the Bible says that is heresy. Examples of that would be a cult, a cult or cults. For example... Mormons do not teach that Jesus is God in the flesh. They do not teach that Jesus is God, but one of God's offspring of kids, and that Lucifer is actually his brother. They also do not believe that the father of this planet is the God of all creation. They believe in many deities. Now, that is completely contradicting the crystal clear teaching of Scripture. They are considered people who are a cult because they teach heresy. The other reason Paul said you must draw the line is in high-handed sin. And these are people who are someone who claims to be a Christian, but repeatedly and blatantly disobeys what Scripture clearly says and often defends it. This is found in people's sexual sin, uh, people who claim they're Christians but continue in a habit uh, that is destructive to them or a lifestyle choice that is outside of God's clear teaching. Uh, these are, they might say, well, these verses don't apply to me or they're out of date or they're not interpreted right. And so they explain away and defend their lifestyle choices to continue in something that the Bible says is blatantly and clearly wrong. That is high-handed sin. And Paul says, when there is heresy and high-handed sin, you must cross the line and deal with this. You must draw a line, and you must deal with this. So 
Both deal, you're going to find, with, with a defiant contradiction of what the Bible clearly says. And that is the line. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, don't go beyond what is written in Scripture. Okay? So don't go beyond the crystal clear. Keeping in mind today that we're going to talk about, this is not about people who are struggling with sin in their lives. This is about people who have set up camp in the sin that they live in their life. So there are many of us here, we struggle with sin. You struggle with with honoring and living for God in a particular area. You don't accept it in your life, but you're struggling with it still, and you're listening to, to challenges and accountability, and you're doing your best to overcome this sin. This is specifically dealing with those who have not struggled with it anymore, but have set up camp in it and said, this is who I am, this is what I am, uh, this is what I'm going to be, and they begin to defend it and defy what Scripture clearly says. How do you deal with these people? Well, that specifically is going to be shared in life teams this week, Matthew 18, but today Paul tells an example of one that they were dealing with. He gives us a sick sin and a strange response. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 5.1, he says, it's actually reported there's pornea among you, sexual immorality, and a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. Man, this is something even the world says is gross. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. This man is shacking up with his stepmom. We don't know if this is a stepmom or one of his uh, father's moms, uh, his mom, but we know that there's two things happen. He says, this is, there's someone who is sleeping with, this is an ongoing relationship. This isn't a one-time oops. This is someone who is living in a sinful lifestyle that the Bible clearly says is wrong. The Bible says in Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 22, and 27, crystal clearly says that this is an appropriate behavior. And he says, there's a guy in your church. By the way, he only addresses the guy, not the woman. You know why? Because she's not in the family. She's not in the church, so he's only addressing this issue with the guy. He says, there's a guy, a man I've heard about. Word has got out. It's actually gotten to me. He doesn't even know this guy. He says, there's a guy in the body in your church that is sleeping with his father's wife, and he's proud of it. He says that he's proud of it. Man, they're proud of being tolerant. They're proud of their progressive thinking. Remember, this was a culture that was not um, committed or value spiritual purity. Now, remember Corinth, as we've talked about before, is a city that would be considered like Las Vegas. It was a city that highlighted and pinpointed reckless and selfish behavior. They had three temples to their city mascot, Aphrodite and Venus, which is a goddess of sex. And they had buildings committed to her. They had on the biggest mountain in the city, on the Chronopolis, a massive temple to Aphrodite where people would travel all over the country to come in to have sex with prostitutes as worship to Aphrodite. And so this is not a culture that valued sexual purity. In fact, the Greeks would often say this, I find this kind of funny. The Greeks would say, a mistress we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines we keep for the daily care of the body, and the wives to bear us legitimate children. (laughs) That was their saying when it came to relationships. Not only did they think that it was no big deal, but they actually were proud of this position. So there's people in this culture saying yes to Jesus, but they weren't leaving the life behind that they were coming from. This person was someone who claimed to be a Christian. 
This is someone who claimed to be a brother in Christ, but proudly ignored the crystal clear scriptures teaching on this. They were proud and they were defending it. So Paul gives us, when do we draw the line? This is not a Christian struggling in an area. This is someone who set up camp. It's time for some tough love. Here's the first thing I want you to write down with tough love and discipline. Paul says, how a Christian lives matters. How a Christian lives matters. This is the issue of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. How you live matters. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how you live impacts your life, impacts our life as a family, and it impacts the world's view of life. It matters how you live. God cares about it, and it matters if you are a Christian how you walk it out. Your soul belongs to Christ, and Paul says your body belongs to the Lord as well. And our body is crafted for honorable works. How you see it matters to God. Are you making excuses for what the Bible says is sin? This is what he's asking. And he's asking you today. Are you making excuses? Because how you live matters. You know, I love that Living Way is a come-as-you-are church. I love that, that you can come here no matter where you're at in your journey with God or without God. That you can come here and be welcome and be family and feel loved and, and, and know that you are going to be loved on. But when you meet Jesus, like truly meet him, and God begins to work in your life, we want you to learn how to walk in God's plan and God's design and in God's blessing for your life. Until then, you're just peeking through the windows. We want you to come on in and enjoy the blessings of the Lord. But you are welcome here. But we know that God loves us the way we are, but loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. How we live matters. So referring to this person in verse 2, he says, Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? Like, shouldn't you have been heartbroken over this? And have put out of your fellowship the man who is doing this? Whoa, man, that's tough love. What does that even mean? He says, don't be proud of it. Don't ignore it. Don't hide it. He says, deal with it. Write this down. When it comes to tough love, we can't ignore correction in the body of Christ. Sometimes we just ignore it. We just kind of hope it goes away. Well, that's between them and God. You know, that's who am I to judge? We accept these false perceptions of correction in our life. Heresy and high-handed sin must be addressed It means addressing issues that are uncomfortable and difficult. He goes on to say this in verse 3. He says, for my part, even though I'm not physically present with you, I'm with you in spirit. He says, I may not be on sight. I may not be with you physically, but I'm with you in spiritual authority. As your pastor, as your founding pastor, as your apostle, as as an apostle of Jesus, I'm with you and I'm speaking as God's authority. He says, as one who is present with you in this way, he says, I have already passed judgment. What? How can anybody already pass judgment? He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. He says, man, I've passed judgment in the name of Jesus on this guy. I've already Past judgment. Now, some might say that seems like he's disobeying what Jesus said. Judge not lest you be judged, Matthew 7. How can somebody pass judgment 
on someone they don't even know. Remember, he heard about this guy. He never met this guy. He hasn't been to this church in almost five years. So he's like, it got to me. Word came out that there's this incident that's happening, and I'll tell you, I've already made a decision on it. Here's what you need to do. Now, some of you might be saying, how can he pass judgment? And yeah, doesn't Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged? I want you to get your phones out if you don't already. I want you to take pictures of these next two slides because I want you to use these slides and, and search the scriptures for yourself what God says about this issue of judging. When Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, for you will be judged in the same manner in which you judge, and then he continues to talk about some issues, he tells us some very interesting things about judgment. The first one is this, we will be judged the way we judge others. So straight up he's saying, don't be hypocritical. Jesus is warning against hypocritical judging. If you are angry and you are negative and you are without grace and you're without mercy and you are uh, someone who is not loving in how you address and talk to people in the way that you attack somebody that is the way that you will be addressed and judged by God so be ready in the same manner in which you judge you will be judged and then he goes on to say you must first take the log out of your eye and then he says you'll you will see the speck in other people's eye. Here's the second thing. Judging is this, is about judging ourselves first. So before you ever address somebody else's issues, you need to address your issues. All right? So he says you're going to be judged in the same way that you, that you judge or attack people. You need to address the sin in your life. And then in Matthew 7, 15, he says we are to judge because there are wolves, there are false prophets, and we are to judge according to one's actions and one's teaching. That is how we are to judge, Jesus says in Matthew 7. He goes on to say in Matthew 18 that we are to make these judgment calls and address situations specifically, and he gives us a process in that, and that we are to clear, uh, clearly and caringly confront others. That is what life teams are about this week. I want to encourage you to be in a small group this week. They are going to be addressing Matthew 18 on how to address difficult situations with people in your life. But Jesus says you are to caringly confront them, confront them, which requires a judgment. And then in John 7, he says we are to judge in the way that God sees things. So we are to make judgments based upon how God sees life and others. We are to have his eyes on the situation. And then through the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks through the New Testament writers and Paul again and again. And in this chapter, he says we are to make spirit-led judgment calls on potentially dangerous teachers, leaders, and so-called Christians. So he says this, I have already passed judgment. I've already done it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, on the one who has done this, how can he pass judgment on someone he's never met? I'll tell you why. Well, we know this about the situation. The man didn't deny it. The fact was well known. It was so well known that it traveled <laughs> all the way to Paul in Ephesus. He was not responding to correction. He was proud of his own sin. And the scripture is clear about it. God had already spoken on the issue. How could Paul pass judgment? Because Paul agrees with God. That's it. 
Paul says, I've already made a decision on this because I agree with God's position on this. If God says something is a sin and we think, well, maybe it's not, well, then you're saying God doesn't know what he's talking about. And if you make yourself greater than God and say, well, if God has already spoken on it, and we say, well, who am I to judge? Then in effect, you're saying, well, who is God to judge? The, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, I choose the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already passed judgment, and this is where I stand on this issue. He says, verse 4, so when you're assembled, this is what you are to do. So when you assemble... I am with you in spirit as your spiritual authority, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. He's saying, man, Jesus is telling you this. I'm telling you this. The Holy Spirit is telling you this, and Jesus is telling you this. Verse 5, hand this man over to Satan. You know, that was weird. Some people think, man, that means like hand him over to let him be possessed or something. It doesn't mean that at all. We'll explain in a minute. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Of the flesh, not the spirit, so that the spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Write this down, tough love, number three. Sometimes tough love takes tough decisions. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions when you love somebody. If you've ever been a parent of a child, you know there are decisions that you've had to make that are tough. You know, that the child doesn't understand. You know, or if you've ever been in a position where you've been in authority in a workplace and you've had to make decisions that are unpleasant and tough in our spiritual family, even that much more, we have to embrace the fact that tough love will sometimes take tough decisions. Sounds harsh, but this is actually very, very loving what he's about to say. This is not hateful, it is giving them something of help. Now, I've got this umbrella here. This is what he's saying. And it was pointed out to me that I matched the umbrella. Had no idea. <laughs> first service, people were smiling and laughing the first couple minutes. And I'm like, oh, what am I? Is something on the umbrella? And they said, no, you matched the umbrella. <laughs> All right. This is what he's saying. He uses two phrases. He says in verse 2, he says, cast them out. Of the fellowship in verse 5, he says, cast them out and hand them over to Satan. What this means is send them out from under the spiritual covering of the body of Christ to live out in a culture that is driven and motivated by Satan. See, here's what happens when you become part of the family of God. And if you're not in the family of God, this is what happens when you walk into the body of Christ. There is a spiritual covering in the family of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? This is a safe place where the reign of the hatred and the violence and the, the negativity and the attacks of the world shouldn't be in the church. This is a safe place. So whether you're a Christian or not, come on in under the umbrella. But once you become a follower of Christ, you live here. 
This is your home in the body of Christ under the spiritual covering of spiritual leaders like a pastor and other leaders and small group leaders. You're in the spiritual covering of people that are looking out for you and caring for you and helping you and as you're straying away, pulling you back in to the fellowship of the covering of God. Because in that covering, there are benefits. There's blessings. There's joy in knowing that God is with you and looking out for you and using people in your life to help you and to cover you. And he says, this is what happens. There are those that want to live out here and claim to still be family. And he says, if there are those among you that call themselves Christians, but yet they don't live like a Christian, and they're defiant and will not receive the correction that comes with the spiritual protection and the authority that God puts in their life, then he says, then if they want to live like they're in the kingdom of hell, let them live in that kingdom rather than in the kingdom of God. If they want to act like the kingdom of Satan, then release them, send them out to live into the kingdom of the enemy. Hand them over to Satan, the one who is manipulating and controlling and responsible for a lot of the hatred and pain and violence in this world. The church should not be a place like that. He says, but if they're bringing that into the church, they got to go. They got to go. Because this is to be a safe place. And he says, out from underneath this protection, he says, he uses this word, cast them out. And he says, um, to live in Satan's kingdom, he says, verse uh, six or 5, he says, hand them over to Satan, out from under the covering of the family, for the destruction of the flesh, to destroy or crush our fleshly behaviors. He says, so that his spirit may be saved for the day of the Lord. See, write this down. This is tough love number four. The ultimate purpose of discipline is to restore a person. That's the purpose. Caring, confrontation, and discipline are always about restoration and salvation, not destruction of the spirit or punishment. Paul says this. If they want to live like they're in the kingdom of Satan, then release them to live because they are not going to bring that hatred into the body and that deception into the body, whether it be through heresy or high-handed sin. He says, release them. He goes, and perhaps once they're out from under the covering of the, of the, of the family of God and this world beats them down, they'll be crushed in spirit, their flesh will be destroyed and they'll be humbled and come home. Now, Sometimes someone has to hit bottom before they can see up. They must be humbled so that the Spirit can work in them. I've seen it. I've seen people who, who they, ha they, they give every reason as to not live for God or serve God, and they might even have everything this world has to offer, but they are broken, they are crushed, they are empty, they are left alone. Or maybe you have to lose everything in this life in order to see that everything in this life is the Lord's to give. So he says, send them out. Send them out into the wolves, into that world that is dominated by the control of Satan so that they may be humbled and come back and be saved. I have additional verses in your notes uh, that you can look up regarding this issue. We tend to do just the opposite. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to be spiritual enablers. What we tend to do is, is we, 
make excuses for it. Well, you know, they, they had a tough life or, you know, th- things are going on at home or th- their marriage is in a bad situation or, you know, th- this event happened in their life and we make excuses for someone's habit or defiance of God's word. They claim to be a Christian and we make excuses for it and we are spiritually enabling them and that excuse often turns into acceptance. And so we then find ourselves accepting a sinful behavior in a Christian, and we become an, an unhealthy enabler of their walk with God. Two reasons why God says through the Apostle Paul and throughout Scripture why we need to deal with, with issues like this, why we need to remove some people from the family, and this is the two reasons. Number one, to protect the body. It's our responsibility. You know, as a spiritual pastor, as a spiritual leader, it's my responsibility to make sure that this environment is safe for everybody. You know, some of you that have teenagers, you better be happy that we have rules in our youth group. If there's some guy that comes into youth group and he wants to sleep with all the girls and he's just bouncing around from girl to girl, leaving a a wreck of people behind him and crushing spirits, you know what? I'll take him and say, hey, I love you, dude. You got to go. This is a safe place and you're making it a dangerous place for people to meet Jesus. If someone's uh, coming to youth group and they're just defiant and angry and, and just want to fight all the time and picking fights and just, just, you know, being overall someone who's leading people astray, then I have to say, hey, you know what? Um, I love you, but you got to go, man, because this is a safe place. Whether you're a Christian or not, come in here. You won't be attacked. You won't be, you know, nobody's going to fight you. Nobody's going to bully you here. No one's going to belittle you here. Come on in. Come on into the covering of a family that cares for you. Once you join the family, I want to show you how to live in this family. But if you come into this environment and you are a wolf and you are devouring and hurting, and this applies to not just youth group, but you parents are glad that we do it in youth, but we, sh- we should and we do do it in our church as well. I've had to ask people to leave youth and I've had to ask people to leave our church before because they come in with destructive teaching, with destructive words, with a lifestyle of defiance, and they try to attack the body for not being tolerant of their choices. And I'm like, you are welcome here. This is a safe place. But if you are leading people astray and creating a violence or a a dangerous spiritual environment, I love you, but I love you just as much at home. There's a privilege to be in this family. And and Paul is saying we make this choice out of responsibility to protect. The second reason he says we do this not only to protect, but to restore. And this is the goal. We have a responsibility and we have a goal, is to restore the individual. We should never be motivated by anger. We should never be motivated by hate. Well, I hate that. I hate that lifestyle. I hate that choice. I hate that. Well, we're never motivated by hate. We're motivated by love and care and a safe place for people to meet Jesus. And Paul is saying what you're creating is an environment that's not safe for people to know and to meet Jesus. So he says, I've made a judgment. Here's the judgment, and Jesus is in agreement with me, and I agree with God on this issue. This person, because he's not receiving correction, needs to leave. See, accountability is not about being a pious policeman, 
but being a caring family member seeking to restore another family member. It's never about overlooking self-destructive behavior. Paul is calling for spiritual intervention. If you're familiar with what an intervention is, intervention is a, is a method that's often used for people of addiction, particularly drug or alcohol addiction, and they'll, they'll bring them into this environment of a room, and they'll set them down, and family members, the people who he loves the most and who love him the most, will sit down and say, this is an intervention, and we're intervening because what you are doing is destroying your life, and it's destroying our life. And so they give this person an ultimatum. And they say, this is what it's doing to us. This is what it's doing to you. Will you receive help today? Will you receive this help today? And if they receive help, the relationship gets stronger as they walk through the process of deliverance from that addiction. If they say no, a real intervention requires a really tough decision. And counselors will tell you this. The real intervention, if they say no, is that you must cut off relationship. And oftentimes in these interventions, they'll say, I can't have you come over. I can't have you be in my house. I can't have you hang out with my friends or with my kids because your addiction, your drug addiction is wreaking havoc upon the people who are around you. Please, please receive this help. We're intervening here. And so this is a picture of Matthew 18 actually living out. And Paul says we do this not just for us, but for them. It's about healing, but it also requires a broken spirit and that perhaps they'll be broken and come back to the Lord. See, when churches ignore sin and they ignore assault and they ignore abuse and they ignore sexual sin and they ignore things like pedophilia or, or uh, sexual choices that are outside of God's plan or try to secretly deal with them and hide them, they betray Jesus They betray the people they are called to lead and protect, and they betray the person who is committing it. But churches are guilty of it all the time because they ignore 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Matthew 18 gives us a guideline. Again, life teams are going to be talking about that this week. He goes on in verse 6. He says, your boasting or your approval of this sin is not good. People are like, look how cool we are. Look how loving we are. Paul is saying, you're not loving. This is a cancer. He says this, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? I want you to write this down. Tough love is this. When issues are ignored, they spread throughout the body. And I've got a packet Bam, of yeast. Now, this is active dry yeast, and these, these are pretty powerful. This is what you put in bread. It causes it to rise. Now, in the Bible days, they didn't have little packets of yeast. They had balls of dough, and these balls of dough would have bacteria in them. They would, they would have this kind of yeast. What bacteria is, it's living organisms inside of your bread, and they release gas Because they're consuming particles within that bread or that dough, they're releasing gas. And when they release gas, it causes the bread to rise. And when those little air bubbles from the bacteria pop, it gives you all those holes and cushions in the bread. You ever seen bread? It's got all these little holes in it. You see a piece of bread with like a big hole in it? Like, that's a lot of gas. (laughs) Some bacteria really let one go. (laughs) Second service only, folks. So... 
That is, that is what he's talking about. And what they would do is they would take these, these balls of dough and they would pass them down from generation to generation to generation. And you could have a ball of dough that was a living organism of bacteria that would be passed down from generation. They couldn't just go out to Walmart and buy, you know, a little yeast packet. They passed it down. But that little tiny ball, when added to dough and worked in, would cause the whole batch to be filled with leaven or to have this bacteria in it. And he says this. He says, don't you know that all it takes is just a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven to cause the whole batch to be infected? And he says, he says you've got to deal with it. You can't keep it to yourself. It, it is contagious. Sin in the camp is like yeast in the dough. Ignoring sin is dangerous and it is contagious. There's quite a few verses there to look up about this. When it goes unaddressed, it becomes an epidemic in the body. Like an infection. And it doesn't take much to spread it. He explains it this way in verse 7. He says, get rid of the old yeast or the old view of life. That old sin, the old perspective, that allowance, that approval of sinful behavior. He says, get rid of that old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you already are, so that you can live as one who is unleavened without sin in your life. And he says, as you already are, really are. He's saying this, you are holy through Christ. Now it's time to be the holiness of Christ. You are holy already in your position in him. Now be holy. He says, you are to live as unleavened bread, as you already are, really are. He says, by the way, He's about to mention something. Why was flatbread? Like we have communion every Sunday over there. I want to encourage you guys to do that. We have flatbread, unleavened bread. What is the deal with unleavened bread? Well, it, it goes back to the exodus of, uh, of the Israelites from Egypt. In that last plague, it was so uh, devastating for the Pharaoh. He said, get out of here before I change my mind. So they gathered everything really fast, including the bread that was unleavened and hadn't risen, and they just booked it out. So they ate unleavened bread and flatbread as they were released from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And that picture is what the entire Bible calls a leavened and unleavened life. He says, like many are in bondage to sin, like Israel is in bondage to slavery, he says, God has set you free. Now, as they are eating unleavened bread, you are to live an unleavened life, a life free from sin, a life free from the bondage. See, God didn't just forgive you of your sins. He calls you out of your sin. This is what 1 Corinthians is all about. There's a church that was struggling to live it out. He says, we're brothers, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. He says, but it's time to get rid of the yeast and to live an unleavened life. And I like how he says it in the next verse. He says, for Christ is our Passover lamb, referring to that meal that celebrates that event when they left Egypt. He says, Christ is our lamb. He has been sacrificed. He is the unleavened perfect meal. He is the spotless lamb. He has lived an unleavened life. He is perfect in this. And he gave his life for our sin. He says, therefore, let us keep the festival. That's the party. It's time to party. Let us be the party. Man, churches are the most dull 
boring places, and Christians are the most dull, boring people at times. Paul says, no, guys, listen, living a life free from the bondage of sin is not boring. It's the real party. If you need to do something to find yourself, then you don't know yourself. If you need to get drunk or do a lot of drugs or need a person to be happy, then you don't know who you are. But in Christ, you should know who you are. So he says, you're the party. He says this, therefore, keep the festival, keep the party, not with old leavened bread, not with old bread leaven. That means with this perspective that you can live any way you want. He says, with malice and wickedness, he says, but instead live the unleavened bread life, a life that is free from the bondage of sin in our life with sincerity and with truth. Christ is the Passover lamb. We are the party. We are to live unleavened lives in purity and in truth by the Holy Spirit. He says it's time to look at the yeast in our life and remove the yeast before you're asked to leave, he says to this guy. Now, with that understanding of judging, there's sometimes some misunderstandings of judging, and so he clarifies a little bit, and this is what I want to end in, is this. In verse 9, he says, I wrote you uh, in my previous letter. Uh, by, by the way, remember I, I mentioned that 1 Corinthians is his second letter. It's not his first, even though we call it first. We have, there's another one. There's two of them, actually, that we don't have. He's referencing this, and he says, this is not the first time I've had to deal with this with you. He says, I wrote to you in my letter previously not to associate with sexually immoral people, pornea. He says, not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the whole world. The only way to avoid the world and evil is to die or to dig yourself into a little hole Move out to the country and have your little compound or be a monk somewhere. But that's not what God has called us to do. I want you to write this down. This is a misunderstanding. Is that Paul clarifies that we are called to infiltrate, not isolate ourselves from the world. When it comes to dealing with these sins and these struggles in our lives and the people around us, we are called to be a part of the world, to infiltrate it, not isolate from it. We are not to avoid the world. We can't avoid the world. He said the only way you can avoid it is to get out of here, to get on a spaceship, go to another planet, or leave this life through death. Paul is not instructing them to avoid contact with unbelievers. But surprisingly, that's exactly what Christians do. We try to get as far away from non-Christians as possible in our holy huddle bubbles with our Christian plumbers and our Christian repair guys and our Christian, uh, you know, um, you know elect electricians and with our Christian TV channels and our Christian movies and our Christian music and in our Christian community and our Christian cars that we bought from the guy who's a Christian. And we, it's like, <laughs> George, I'm going to buy from you next time I buy a used car. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with using these services if they're good. But you don't make the choice because you want to keep out of the world. We're called to infiltrate the world, 
not isolate ourselves from the world. This is our primary job. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be the, the hope of the world. I love Christian music and, and I, uh, because it feeds me and I enjoy listening to it, but I don't do it to isolate myself or because the world is scary to me. It's, it's something that I like because I grow with that. We are not to isolate ourselves. We're not to, to uh, you know, avoid contact with non-Christians. You know what we do when we isolate ourselves from the world? We become the very people that Jesus despised the most, the Pharisees. Because the Pharisee says, if you want to be holy, if you want to be real, you know, godly people, if you want to be people that really love God, then you have to live like us, act like us, eat like us, dress like us, live like us, remove yourself from society, and be us. Paul says, they're hypocrites. Jesus says, you guys are sons of the devil. Whoa. <laughs> Some of the harshest words that Jesus ever said were to those Pharisees. He says, you're sons of the devil. The only thing you speak are his words, lies, hypocrites. Now, Paul reminds us that this issue is not just about incest. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, he says, But now I'm writing to you again that you must not associate with anyone, here's the key, who claims to be a brother or a sister, claims to be a Christian, who is living, he says, uh, but is sexually immoral, that's pornea, that's anything that is sex outside of God's plan and design, or is greedy, this is the person who only thinks of themselves. They're dangerously selfish. They can only get and want and pursue what they want in life. This is a very destructive and dangerous person. He goes, or the idolater. This is, this is those who are following false belief systems, Deception, those who are deceived, live a false faith, or slanderers. This is an interesting word. Some translations say reveler, and what this means is people who are violent and abusive with their words or actions. So if someone is verbally abusive, if they're physically abusive, and yet they claim to be a Christian and still say they're fine and okay and defending that action or activity, Paul says that's where you draw the line. And then he says a drunkard. A dr why a drunkard? Because there are, let me tell you, 80% of violent crime is alcohol-related. 80% of people who are in prison were under the influence of alcohol at the time that they were arrested. 80% of car accidents are a result of people who are abusing alcohol. 80% of sexual assault is a result of people who are under the influence of alcohol. It is not a healthy thing to allow yourself to be drunk. It is a sin, Paul says. It's a sin to be drunk. Alcohol is not a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. And he says if there's people in your body that can't stop getting drunk, that is unpredictable, that is dangerous, and if they give defiant excuses for it, then you need to draw a line and have a serious talk with them. And he says they're a swindler. Now, this isn't just a cheater. The word here in the original is someone who is violently taking things that don't belong to them. A violent thief or someone who is by force a dangerous person of theft. You know, whether it be emotional theft, purity theft, physical theft, property theft. He says these swindlers, he says these, if, if someone says they're a Christian, this is the short list for tough love. People who are dangerous to others and dangerous to themselves, he says we must respond. And if they don't respond to correction... Matthew 18, he says this, verse 11, 
Do not even eat with such people. Now, some of you are like, what? What's the big deal, man? We like Chick-fil-A, man. It's like, I'm, you know, sorry, can't go out to church with you uh, because you're a drunkard. Or because, you know, uh, this is not, again, about someone who is struggling with sin. This is about someone who has set up camp in their sin. This is someone who's defiantly saying no to any correction, repeated correction in the gospel. And this is actually more wide-ranging than just dinner. This isn't just about dinner. In their culture, this had a different bit of weight to it. In the ancient culture, when you ate with somebody, you were saying that you were in agreement with somebody. When you ate with somebody, it was an expression of unity and relationship with this person of agreement. Paul is saying, don't give the impression that you agree with their life. So this is not so much about eating a meal together. This is about don't give the impression that you agree with their life. Don't give the impression that you are supportive of their sinful choices. Don't give the impression that you approve of this choice that they have made that is clearly, crystal crystal clearly given in scriptures that is a no. So for them, it was don't even eat with them. For us, it might be our social media. For us, it might be how much time we spend with somebody. It might be the things that we say, you know, in an effort to be loving and supporting of people that we care about, sometimes we respond on social media to things that, are, that give the appearance of approval for things that the Bible says we shouldn't approve. Paul says, don't give that impression. Don't even give that impression of support. You can love someone and still disagree with them. Here's a... Here's the next just, uh, uh, misunderstanding is it's our place to judge Christians, but not non-Christians. Look at verse 12. Let's go back a little bit. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, What business is it of mine to judge outside the church? Christians, unfortunately, are busy judging those outside the church while neglecting purity within the church. Have you noticed that? We like to condemn everybody that's not a Christian, but yet we give a free ride to anyone that says they're a Christian. Paul says, no, no, no. You have no business judging anyone who is not part of the family of God. He says, but are you not to judge those inside the church? Yes, you are. God will judge those outside. It's not our prerogative. He says, but as far as this guy inside, expel the wicked person from among you. Again, write this down. It's our place to judge Christians, but not non-Christians. Listen, Christians, stop judging non-Christians by Christian standards. You know, those without Jesus are not called to live holy lives. They're not called, a non-Christian is not called to be Uh, you know, sober. Uh, A non-Christian is not called to live in sexual purity. A non-Christian is not called to, to align ourselves with what God says you are to live by. They're not called to live holy lives, but you are. No behavior change can change the condition of their soul. He says, focus on the body. I'll worry about the world. Don't step into God's prerogative. It doesn't mean that the world is not sinning. It's just that it's not our place to condemn them. God will deal with them. And this is a tough one for a lot of us because we are quick to judge the non-believers. That's not your place. Stop it. Paul says you have no right. It's not, we don't have that business. That's God's business. Non-Christians, 
Don't avoid them. Don't attack them. Don't condemn them. We are to reach them. We are to invite them into that covering of the family of God to experience what life can be in a family that is caring and loving and warm and walks with them and is gracious and patient. If someone comes in who calls himself a Christian and is disrupting that picture of the church, you need to ask them to leave. But if those who are not Christians come in and they're lovingly observing this environment and want to be a part of it on a weekly basis, he says, don't kick them out. Don't judge that guy at work. Don't judge the celebrities. Don't judge the people who are uh, in the world. That's the Lord's prerogative. This This is powerful. He says we can completely disagree with somebody and love them, and you can accept someone without accepting their sin. When dealing with correction, you're going to find this in Matthew 18, there's a rule to dealing with correction. That is, the circle of discipline equals the circle of relationship. For example, leaders should be dealt with publicly because they are a public relationship. However, individuals should be dealt with privately because that is a private relationship. But we tend to turn that upside down, don't we? We tend to address leadership failure secretly and dismiss them quietly and shuffle them around and give them severance packages and make it all quiet. But yet when you have this, you know, young girl who's struggling with sin and gets pregnant, They like to parade this person around the church publicly in front of everybody. That is a sinful mess. That is unbiblical. Here's the key to all of this. This It's the last thing. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. It begins with you. It begins with you. We tend to do everything we can to separate ourselves from non-Christians and ignore blatant sins of so-called Christians We become spiritual enablers. Is that you? Take a look in the mirror. Or maybe you are ignoring and excusing your choices, saying that the Bible doesn't apply to you, or it's not really a problem. And in defiance of what God clearly says, you are in rebellion. The Bible says this, there's some yeast in the body, and it's you. I don't know about you. Anybody here go the weekend without sinning? Anybody? Anybody here? I didn't. <laughs> We're all sinners, saved by grace. Thank you, God, for that. You know, as I grow in God, I don't become sinless, but I might, as I mature, sin less, right? But when, when I walk into this room, I'm, I'm humbled, I'm broken, and I'm teachable, and I'm waiting for the, for the Holy Spirit to speak to me just as you are. But there are some here that are defiant in their walk and in their life, accepting and condoning and excusing a sinful lifestyle or choice. Paul says, listen, you got some yeast And it's going to tear apart the body if you don't deal with it. Take a look in the mirror. Get the log out of your own eye before you dare look at the speck in anybody else's. If you belong to Jesus, live like it. I like to say don't take the name if you're going to profane. If you're going to take on the name Christian, you better act like Christ to the best of your ability. Because how we live impacts us. It impacts you. It impacts the world. See, here's the golden thread with all of this. Sin is a big deal in the unseen realm. And at the heart of it is just a little yeast. It's a little sin that grows into a big, ugly, destructive, harmful cancer. So as we pray today, I want to pray that God will convict you of the yeast in your life 
and that you would begin to deal with that. Seek out spiritual counseling or help or accountability with another Christian friend or leader. Check your heart before you ever start checking the motives of others. The world is the Lord's to deal with, but we have a call to hold each other to a higher level because how would they see Jesus if we don't look like him, act like him, or treat others like him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the conviction of the Holy Spirit through this tough passage in 1 Corinthians 5 that gives us some really eye-opening challenges here, Lord. God, if there's anyone here, Jesus, that has been excusing the sin in their life, I pray that you would just confront them right now by the Spirit. God, I pray if there's anyone here that has been excusing the sin of others' lives, Lord, that you would convict them by the Spirit and that they would be a loving, caring, gracious, patient person and address the issue according to Matthew 18, Lord, privately. And Lord, I pray that this person who needs that correction would respond accordingly and that we would have the courage to make the tough decision if they don't. But Lord, it begins with us. So right now, as you're sitting there, what is the Holy Spirit pointing out in your life? Do you hear his voice? What is it? What is that that yeast, that sin in your life that God is saying, you need to deal with this? You need to deal with this. It's contagious. It's dangerous. If you don't, it will grow. and will not only hurt you, but it will hurt the people that you love the most. Will you deal with it? The Holy Spirit is calling you right now. The forgiveness of God is just not for those who are new to the kingdom, receiving his forgiveness, but it's also for those in the kingdom as God convicts them of sin in their life. Will you just take a moment and just ask God to forgive you of your sin? That sin you've been making excuses for? Will you just ask God, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, lead me and guide me to accountability. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.